0: Okay, we're back with another segment with another great guest. So who do we have today? My name is Chris Jelly, and I'm from the
1: North Merrick Public Library.
0: Excellent, so what do you think of the conference so far?
1: You know, I think it's very relevant, and I think you're gonna see more conferences and more even smaller working sessions between you know, the public library systems and agents and the libraries themselves they are gonna have to take on and educate themselves about what does it mean to be a library in the
0: post-privacy world. And it does make a lot of sense because a lot of what we do has transitioned from here's your book to oh, now you're on the internet. Now, how do you know deep freeze is going to work? What is deep freeze? Is, when, if somebody forgets to log out of their email, you know, there's all, and that's just sc- literally scraping the surface.
1: Well, right. I mean, and again, it, it's an opportunity for a very positive conversation with your patrons that come into the library about. How safe is the things that they're doing, because as I'm seeing increasingly, we're getting more and more people coming in, even for the simple fact that they don't have a printer at home. I need to print something this is sensitive, this is uh, a mortgage statement, medical documents. And you know, having worked with a little bit of experience you know doing I.T. support for the medical world, you have to have something which is your HIPAA certification, which shows that you are you know sensitive to electronic medical records, and that you know how to handle them. And hospitals are held to a very high standard with this but interestingly enough people can come into a public library print out something and let's say for argument's sake prints out of paper job goes to the printer and then someone puts paper in hours later and someone's extremely sensitive medical uh, records get printed out sure in in the, the medical you know in a hospital scenario itself or any sort of healthcare provider that would be grounds for a very substantial fine so it, it It's important to have conferences like this where libraries are being educated and taking it seriously about what's at stake with people's personally
0: identifiable information. I mean, with regard to digital printing and digital copying where, you know, it's saved in there somewhere and, you know, whether or not there's an ethical uh, duty on the part of the library to somehow safeguard that material. And if you're leasing this Mm -hmm. copier from a company, whether or not, what, what are they gonna do with the copier once they return it after the lease, if it's not a buyout. At the end. There's a
2: hard drive on every copier, right, so.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, so, yeah. And,
1: and it raises the question when, you know, I'm actually in, in the place right now where I'm trying to court different vendors to come in to modernize our copying uh, situation and our faxing capabilities, and one of the first questions I have to say is, is this encrypted? How is this stored? What is the data retention, you know, expiration date set to, just like with our print management system? Um, our jobs automatically purge after four hours uh, because, it, you know, there's times that jobs will be left unattended and we don't right. want to run the risk. And maybe it should even be shortened, but it's important at least to, to right. take reasonable steps to safeguard that information. And, and again, just to, you know, with print management, um, you know, the, the, the jobs that do come out, it's important. We use a release station so that way the print job only comes out when the patron is sitting there and hits the go button and then the printers directly adjacent they can immediately grab it so it's not lingering they don't have to walk across a room. Right. And When we first introduced this, it used to be very chaotic our printing situation, where it was for all of (laughs) us. (laughs) (laughs) It's a commonality I think that we've all experienced, where just everything is flying out of the printer and people are clustered around it, trying to sort them out amongst themselves. No, that's mine. I I think think
2: that was mine, right? Exactly.
1: Yeah. 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 And then uh, it's hysterical when, unfortunately, people are both printing the same exact same thing. It looks similar, and then there's almost a fight. Uh,
2: That was yours or mine, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: And it, it takes getting used to to get the patrons used to this new heightened security about well why can't I just why, does it, why do I have to have the second step I hit print why doesn't it just come out well we're trying to safeguard your information right. and that's an important distinction to make and that's always a positive avenue to engagement with your library patrons
0: right. sure and it's, it's really important to understand it almost to a point where it's um, it's almost painful but knowing that you're protecting protecting the interests of the patrons and they may not even understand it see it, appreciate it but the fact that it's almost like you were saying with HIPAA. Um, it's almost like we have this duty to protect the privacy at mm-hmm. this point. And with the world that we live in now, it's kind of a given where there's, I mean, there's cameras everywhere. And you know, the, the question of what is a right to privacy at this point, um, I think, is something that the framers of the Constitution had no idea hmm. of, could even conceive of. It, it's science fiction you know, up until about five years ago. Like I was just showing Bob my ring camera. Or, you know, um, I, what was it? it was a person in my driveway who was, who was at my house doing some work. And I said, oh, oh, I forgot she was there doing this work. And I said, look, there's somebody in my front door. I mean, think about that in terms of that person's right to privacy versus my right to protect my property. So there's all these new elements of things. And, you know, it's kind of funny in the context of, watching an old detective show like let's say Columbo or Kojak or something mm-hmm. where they're sneaking into an apartment building and that completely is something that would not happen now because there would be a camera pointed at that door yeah. and they would see who would come in and then there, there's so much to those, those old show, detective shows from the 70s that just, you kind of laugh at now because the world has changed so much that uh, you know everything is on camera so in terms of even having security cameras at the library, is there a certain expectation of a lack of privacy? Even, I know it's a public building and all that other stuff, but now we're talking about we go one step further with AI and um, facial recognition software right. and at work with biometrics for checking in with the handprint and all that other stuff. It opens up another whole Pandora's box, if you will, of privacy issues. Yeah
2: and what number you use for uh, time clocks and coded doors and things like that do you use part of their social cuz they're not all going to be okay with that and right you know that kind of stuff uh, same idea so uh, and the scanning stations right so you, everybody has a scanning station that that usually gets sent to the patron's email when they plug it in what email address is, is that that's sending it and is there a copy kept in the sent folder and you know how often does that get purged and is the data still there and i mean there's a lot to think about when it comes to you know privacy in a, in a public setting right and they're they're so used to trading off privacy for convenience and everything else that they do on social media right and just to get an email account sign up and boom who knows what they're doing with it where does it go and uh, how often are those email addresses being sold to third parties and then that data is being used for advertisements and right they're used to it so when they work that's why i think they're so comfortable with it they'll come in and print out their boarding pass and they'll print out their social security card for you know, a copy that they need. They'll print out medical records, right? Because mm-hmm. the rest of their experience with social media and other things over time has allowed them to, to exchange uh, privacy for convenience, right? So.
0: Or even think in terms of uh, renewing your car registration online. Yeah. Like I had just done that for my car. And when you print out the receipt for the temporary registration, your VIN number is there, your address is there, right. the make and model of your car is there. Now, could somebody do something with that? that's nefarious i don't know i haven't thought that deep well, into it's a, it
2: it's a step i mean if they have your vin number right over time mm-hmm. they could figure out who your registration is you know if they have your license plate they might be able to figure out who your insurance is everything in in taking well you have a personal experience with identity theft but yes but it's all a step so if i get your car then i might get your insurance i have your name and address and then i might get you know your credit card info it's all just a step. And it's a, a step towards of, getting towards the goal. A couple of steps in, and I get your tax return money, right? So, right. It's personal
0: yeah, exactly, exactly. yeah. yeah right.
1: I would always I would always err on the, the side of caution and, and say, uh, you know, all information is valuable. Anything is is a piece of the puzzle that is you yeah, exactly. in, in an online yeah. sense. Yeah. And, you know, th- it's great when you do uh, programs on, like, uh, whenever a data privacy day rolls around. And we've done programs like this. And when we, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll put up on a big projected screen you know, your terms of service for using Facebook, and then to see people's eyes go wide, when I was like, it's it's not what it says, it's what it doesn't say, that's really, it it gives them like carte blanche in many cases. And now they've, as you know, was mentioned earlier at the conference today, you know, they've talked about the FTC hitting Facebook with a $5 billion fine, which I'm sure even for the size of Facebook they felt, and it's a step in the right direction, but Mm -hmm. we're we're at that point now where the, the laws regarding privacy rights, and specifically data privacy, uh, needs to start to be, um, you know, litigated out there more in the open and talked about. Right. Like as it's also mentioned at the conference, that the EU is far ahead of us on this. So.
0: And it's funny you mentioned that because I was just thinking as you were saying that what the EU did with Google with regard to um, privacy for searching history and, and things like that and and data for Google Maps and, and all that other right. stuff. They actually have taken the lead from the United States, which I guess somebody had to do something. And you know the way. Our, our government is right now. It's it's in a state of paralysis. Uh, regardless of where you fall on the political spectrum, everybody I think can agree that we're in a state of paralysis right now, and nothing really is getting done. Um, not that the EU is getting a lot done either. Um, well, maybe the UK is not getting anything done. But uh, you know, it's good to see that somebody is taking the lead, and it's not China.
1: Right. I mean, and you know, there's certain things that government does, but it's it's not widely publicized as, as probably as much as it should be. You know, there's things like the Stop Think Connect program where if you partner with them and, and we, at North America, we're partnered with them, they give you a lot of free stuff that will, you know, like toolkits and things. Now, it's things that can be retweeted, it's graphics that, you know, you don't have to spend time making. And sometimes it's just aimed solely at educating, just about here's the thing, you know, change your passwords frequently. It's these very basic things, but they speak volumes, especially for the people that we all, you know, are pressed for our time as library professionals. And it's important that as much things that you can push into my hands that that I could then you know, not spend time creating. So that's that's one case where, you know, they'll give you posters and things that you can print out or, you know, free you know free swag and things like right. that that help yeah, you it. educate the public. Because sometimes it's, it's knowing what to tell the public.
2: Right, and, and how it, to tell them that, right? Because right. there's a line, right, between educating them and giving them, you know, the information that they need. And then they jump to the conclusion of fear and they're not gonna do anything. So, you know, the library guy said I should get off Facebook and get off Instagram and not do anything, you know? And I've had people like that too. Patrons come in and be like, "Well, I heard that social media is really bad." And I'm like, "Well, hold on a second. You know, the way that you use it, and what you're using it for, can play a big, you know. And if you're careful, and and you allow certain things and and block others, um, but that there's a line. So they'll come in not knowing how open they are. Mm-hmm. And some of them, if we don't catch them, will leave. You know, like I'm never touching a computer again. You know,
1: <laughs> right? So. It, you know, it's important not to fear monger, and it's hard to dial that back and say, "Well, you know, just." You know, you, you can be passively aware of how you know your data is being generated by you and aggregated. You know, in the terms of service to you know, by use of you know the Facebooks, the Instagrams, and so on. Sure. And, and then you can be actively engaged and make a decision if you want to use those platforms and not feel. And again, you know, the, the crazy thing is one of my um, you know classes that one of the tech classes I did. I was asking people, do you use Facebook? And most people said yes. I was like, well, why? I said, well, everybody I know uses it. I'm like, okay. So, you know, there's, there's that peer pressure model, which, you know, I was like, well, just be, you know, would you let peer pressure, you know, force you to opt into something else? Right. Yeah. You know, why is this one thing? Well, this is how I talk to my grandkids and, and so on. And I'm like, okay, but just make an informed decision rather than one made out of a sense of obligation.
0: Right. So let's uh, switch topics for a minute and talk yeah. about something that, that we all are interested in is, is the concept of offering 3D printing to the public. Uh, it seems as though it's something that the libraries are doing, and it, it, what's interesting is as much as we, perf- we, we want to provide the same services, it's interesting how we all organically do it a little bit differently. So explain mm-hmm. to us how at North Merrick, some, what the process is for a patron to come in to request a 3D print.
1: All right. Well, so patrons are welcome to come in on a walk-in basis, and if uh, the time slots are not utilized, um, they can do so. We we do it a little bit, as you said, a little bit differently. We do three three three-hour blocks, um, and we leave a little bit of time in between, uh, which you know gives us time to change filament or or to kind of get a a feel um, for what the you know patron wants to do in their appointment. We also have um, our director is great in that he gives us the flexibility that we can book back to back, so that way if you have a patron who says, "Well, I have something that's four hours, and I really can't shrink it down because it's it's size sensitive." Right. they can at the director's discretion book a, make a double booking, which is nice that uh, you know to, to be flexible. and I think that's a key too. Um, you know while, Every library, yours, mine, everyone else's, for, as far as three D printing goes, we all have our, our policies and what you can make, what you can't make, and what violates, and and so on. But I think it's the flexibility of working with the public and the things you'll see they they'll they'll amaze you. I mean, I'm sure as, as you as you've seen when they come in and this you thing... you, you never can, know it's going right. to walk <laughs> yeah. in. Absolutely, and that's part that's one of the best things about working in a library is that you know, especially in, for me in, in a technology sense, is that I get to fix things, I get to help people, and I mean you you. It, You'll never be able to you know, predict what people are going to come in with the 3D prints. And it's,
0: and it's fascinating. We have these, uh, these two brothers who come in, they're twins, and they make flashlights, literally. And, and the thing that they just brought in was a battery charger for a cell phone that is a box that they 3D printed and they put the metal contacts in and they can use two AA batteries to recharge their phone. Nice. It's, wow. It's ingenious. And every time they come in, I look at them and go, OK, what are we inventing today, guys? And it's that, that spark. And, and it's a bonus that they're 20-somethings, they're like 22, 23 years old. And they came in to the library for the first time and said, oh, we don't know anything about 3D printing, what can you tell us? So we have this business card that we made, it's branded for the library and, and the space, and it has Tinkercad and Thingiverse, because how many times can you write down the same thing over and over again? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> so we made business cards that had that. I said, Well, if you're looking for something that's ready made, here's Thingiverse. If not, check out Tinkercad. It's real easy. You import the shapes, you put your measurements in, and boom, it's there. And he came back two hours later with his first design. Wow. That's great. And they keep coming back. He designed, he works at Taco Bell. He wants to start his own business. He doesn't know exactly where yet, but he works at Taco Bell right now. And he was making rings for the employees at Taco Bell. It's like, wow, this is amazing. And he's just one of the great success stories that we have. So what's really cool is just to see what walks in. We have inventors. We helped one guy um, develop a whole series of uh, cell phone cases for, for smartphones that incorporate the same battery pack that he developed. So depending on the type of phone you have, you can buy the case and then buy the battery pack separate. So if you change phones, you just need to buy the case and then the same battery slides into it. So all these crazy ideas come from people walking in the door and saying, "Hey, is that a three D printer? What's that about?" So you have the same experiences, or
1: it, it, very, very much the same experience. And and what you you know you're talking about, it really speaks to a public library as being that conduit to an advanced technology that you're just not going to encounter. You're not just going to buy you know one of these very sophisticated and, and sometimes expensive machines, you know, just on a lark and then try to educate yourself on how to use it. The fact that it was there and you were able to open the conversation and open the door to somebody and really spark, uh, you know, their their, their creativity really speaks to what the role of a a public library is becoming. And and, and in many senses, you know, has always been. At one time, you know, the printed word was the most advanced technology available. And then it was, you know, again, it plays to the importance of how libraries began to develop and evolve throughout history. And again, you know, 3D printing and other advanced technologies. I, I think it's right and proper to see their inclusion. And that way, you know, people can, make use of te- technology that, where they would never be able to before. That's
0: right. So let me ask you this, um, where does North Merrick fall, in, and if you don't know, that's fine too, um, with regard to people who have, small, have businesses and want to use the makerspace for that. So uh, the example that I'm going to give is somebody who has an Etsy business and wants to use the library to produce their widget that they're now going to sell on Etsy is do you guys have a policy for that? Because one thing that we do over at Satrum is we want to foster that entrepreneurial spirit. We don't want to become your factory, where we're making widgets 24-7 for you. But if it's a custom order or something you really want to develop to be a product that you then want to mass produce with a manufacturer, um, or something that you want to do on a case-by-case basis, we want to facilitate that without, it, without us, again, becoming their factory. Do, do you, you know, encounter things like that?
1: Well, you know, to the best of my knowledge, like we, unfortunately, we, we, we in the, within the policy, they have the uh, ability to do a lot of prototyping. And we see that. We've seen uh, a young lady come in and do her own version of Legos, where instead of the round pegs, they're square, and then mm-hmm. they lock together a little bit differently. Um, but fortunately, we haven't encountered that yet where we've had to amend the policy mm. um, but I, I don't to the best of my knowledge it doesn't specifically say anything about you know the, the resale because there's that enforceability like right. and, and I think like if someone were really booking up uh, the uh, you know the reservation system, you know heavily. And again, no, right?
2: They'd have to book like you know thirty-three hour, right? You know tours to print a thousand widgets. You know, so I think you'd right. You'd see that come in and be like, hold oh, on a minute.
1: Let's we see. we see a lot of educators yeah. actually come in, and one one patron in, in particular, and it was great that we could facilitate this for her. She works with um, special needs kids, and she's able to make certain uh, items that have a tactile feel and a certain color that she would not be able to buy. She, you know, and she, every time she comes in to make something, she just praises us, like, left wow. and right. And she's like, I couldn't find a blue turtle anywhere right. that's this size, you know, for this one special needs kid. Uh, whereas now, she, you know, she can pick out, you know, the models, the colors. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's another good experience. Well, look at, what,
2: look at what Ellen Druda did.
0: Ellen Druda, that's $10, uh, Druda, right? That's we haven't mentioned dollars. Ellen she's, in a long time. she's retired. Every time we mention Ellen Druda, she's got to pay us $10.
2: Who, what was the company that she worked with? To print the hands. Oh, Enable. Yeah, so she mm-hmm. started this big thing on Long Island where you print uh, the hands for Enable and they put them together. Uh, and then they send them on to the company to be used in, right? For children, you know, over- prosthetics, <laughs>
0: yeah. for hands. Right. Yeah. yeah.
2: So that kind of thing is just absolutely amazing.
1: And what's what's beautiful about that is that last time that we even entertained that, they had basically told us, not a rush. We have had such an outpouring yeah. of prosthetics that they've received that, you know, they're almost overstocked now. Be-
0: because mm-hmm. of Ellen Druda. Ellen Druda. Ellen Druda. Ellen Druda. It took us an hour and 51 minutes to get to I Ellen Druda. Know. I had to bring her up. Gotta love it. And she made like 60 bucks right and She's here. like the matriarch of makerspaces on Long Island, I think. I'm going to go with that. I'm yeah. going with that. That's good. Yeah. yeah. That'll be $15. Then. $15
1: now. <laughs>
2: Somebody's <laughs> got to send her a registered letter.
1: Exactly. Her price is going up. I must say, I, years ago when I was a consultant, I worked with Ellen Druda at Half Hollow Hills Library uh, for quite a while. So I, I remember her very fondly. An incredible lady. So, see that?
0: Amazing. Yeah. yeah. That's right. So we'll have, I'll have to text her later and so say we are we're, we're calling her the matriarch of... Uh, of 3D printing yeah, send on send this
2: clip and we'll have to, like, uh, trademark the matriarch of... Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
0: Excellent. So tell us about some of the other stuff you're doing technology-wise over at North America.
1: Well, um, one of the other things we did, uh, I came in looking to lower some of the costs and simplify a few things. So our OPEX, um, you know, OPEX are always, you know, this uh, kind of, a, kind of a, a unique niche of... <laughs> it's where computers know, uh, go to die. Uh, yeah. Historically, yes. Historically, yes, you would, like, you would take, you know, the, the, the ones that were kind of flaky, because you're like, well, I just needed to run a, a web browser. And even at this point, I started to get to the point, because I'm, I'm very cybersecurity conscious, and I said, okay, what's, what way can I lower the cost and keep them more secure and you know make them basically unbreakable right. because you know when you don't have to sign in to use something that's you know the, the thing that people experiment with yeah. And I implemented Raspberry Pis as my OPEX.
0: See that is genius to me because the cost is so much lower35
1: dollars I mean I used the mouse keyboard and monitor that were already there. And right. I just put this thing in. I had to buy SD cards, you know, a total right. out-the-door price for the case and everything. And, I, and You didn't 3D print the case? No, actually, we splurged, and we, they came as a package with the power adapter on oh, Amazon. Okay. And yeah. we had we got a really good deal, on, you know, and we just put them in place. And basically, um, there's nothing to get to. It, they, they run Chromium. They pointed out our catalog. And if you close out of that, it's just a black screen. There's nothing to hack your way into. There's no desktop environment, and then they just basically
0: relaunch. Yeah. How are they desktop. networked? Are they networked through Wi-Fi, or are you do? Doing-
1: They're uh, networked through the Wi-Fi, and I do have them filtered, obviously, so that they can only get to you know, uh, like library specific things. You know, the catalog, other library websites that are linked. Through. So you just
0: whitelist a few things, and that's right. it.
1: Right. Exactly. And then they they pretty much run twenty four seven for the last you know two and a half years that I've been at North
0: America. That is amazing.
2: The energy footprint is huge too because we're we're using oh. a lot of libraries using the older machines which have huge power supplies, sometimes 3 4 500 watts and they're just sitting there doing nothing but they're mm-hmm. using so much energy to do nothing
1: generating heat eating yeah. up and and it's great to you know you know because we're so class we just have them sticky taped right on the back of the monitors right. and yeah. and that that opens up another good com, you know conversation with our stakeholders yeah. you know the taxpayer That's and to right. be able to say well, instead of having this computer running antivirus and, and license software and all yeah. of this, you know, security to lock it down, we basically just have this, you know, $35 device here, yeah. and, you know, it uses a fraction of the electricity. Yeah, And, you know, off chance something were to ever go wrong with any of them, you just pop in another SD card that has an image ready to go, that's and right, then you, the recovery yeah. is done. And, and again, that, that's just to simplify, and we also have our digital signage that's also running on the Yodek platform, which is a cloud-based, and... You know, uh, just to speak about Raspberry Pi, I mean, it, for libraries, they just fill up, you know, such, you know, a, a place in my heart and in my technology plan. Because yeah,
2: of course. Because yeah.
1: they run 24-7 for years on end, and right. they just never seem to break, That's and right. it's, it's amazing.
2: We're, we're kind of in that model at Emma Clark, so we, we use the old Thin Clients, so the HP right, Thin right. Clients, where they did nothing but display a browser, and we've repurposed them. Because they're so energy efficient, right. they're basically like a Raspberry Pi in an HP box. Right. and Dell has bought Weiss right so the same kind of thing they do absolutely nothing so we put um, an open source OS on it and mm-hmm. it does the same exact thing so as far as energy efficiency I think over the last seven years we probably saved uh, thousands of dollars I'm sure just like you guys doing doing it like that
1: right and I mean and think about the headaches that you know you saw where if it's you know if it's an open source OS what or any kind of distribution of Linux or, or right. whatever you know this something to be said for not having to really worry about you know antivirus even right. for instance because right. right. I just I I've heard that you know there are viruses for Linux, but I've never actually encountered one in the wild. Right. And, and I think at their root, they would just be like a kernel exploit, really. Right. Yeah. And what's but,
0: the worst thing that happened? You, thought you'd you
2: just put a new OS on, or just yeah, on new OS, yeah. you know,
1: pop in another micro SD card, format the other one. And I've never even right. had that problem. And believe me, you know, we have like any library, we have people like to come in and play and, right. and say, well, oh, what, yeah. what is
0: this?" And it's a challenge,
1: right? Yeah. Right. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. well, libraries are also hacker training ground.
0: Right. So that's true. Yeah. Yep.
1: I mean, let, let's be honest. It, it's it's a reality, and that's why yeah. again you know, being cybersecurity conscious and, and you see things, you know, on your network when you're monitoring and looking at things. Yeah. And
2: That's why to this day, segregated networks are absolutely yes. the best way to go. Oh, it's Wi-Fi essential. should never touch the one and public, you know, should never touch the right. staff. There's always that overlap because you have, uh, you know, the patron management systems and whatnot, but you need to, you know, protect those. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's absolutely, and, and the, we didn't even talk about the portability all well, these little raspberry pi's so if you wanted to put a kiosk on the end of an opac right panel right you don't need a big monitor you know it's a yeah. little tiny device that's it you know even uh,
1: small footprint and,
2: and some libraries are doing ipads that's like five six hundred bucks at the end of your aisle yep. right where you can do a raspberry pi on a little monitor sure. what would it cost you, you know, hundred and twenty dollars total right. maybe and
0: if you're going with a monitor that size you can go with the, with the pi monitors which are what are they? Twenty dollars a piece, something like yeah, that. Very, actually, very affordable. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, but when you speak to something,
1: you know, that I. It could be a whole, you know, separate thing for another show because it's such a wide-ranging topic about having, you know, segregated networks and and since we, you know, we're the whole conference today is about, you know, post privacy and you know, patron data is transmitted in our library automation software. regardless of whether you're using Sierra or you're using other things like Evergreen or whatever it may be. But, you know, there's a sensitivity that I think should be paid attention to when we look at, you know, those computers and what's happening on those networks. And I know anything that's running Sierra in my my building is on the library system sponsored network. And it doesn't overlap, it doesn't bridge networks. It's, and it's important, you know, because you're transmitting, you know, very sensitive That's exactly
2: how we do it at Emma. And so it's a like model because we're, we're concerned. You know, if we have to look that up, we count that as a, a private area, you know, digitally or physically, you know, so the monitors are obviously facing the librarians. Right. We don't have many public-facing monitors that would ever show you the data that they're looking up, you know, and folks don't go behind the desks and view their record or anybody else's record.
0: Mm-hmm. Outside of just those general things, there are so many other things you can do with Pies from a patron standpoint, too. Like, we just had a class... On retro gaming, where we actually let them take the pie home afterwards, it was theirs. Uh, we didn't charge a fee, and, and we're trying to analyze whether or not this is cost effective. So you gave, to do gave
2: pies away, so you'll buy a $32 pie and give it away as part yep. of the program?
0: You program it, and now it's yours. Wow. Think about, think about it in terms of your like, per attendant fee, though, right? So you're, if you did. We, when don't, you, when we do did this, attend- we did this oh, as, did as a pilot okay. just to That's see what idea. would happen. And That's what was cool. interesting was we, it was a class of six, yeah. only three people showed up. So wow. we're giving wow. you a pie, and only three people showed up. That's crazy. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah. We found that really interesting. So what we wanted to do, and we may charge a fee in, in the future. Can I, we, I'm not can
2: sure we sign up for that program? Um, can I'm, I'm can
0: we, in, we, I'm I can saying, never get enough of these things. I'll, so. I'll sign up <laughs> 10
2: people. will go. And just to give us your extra pies. That's why.
0: Nice. So, yeah. so the idea and the concept is you can take a computer class and come in, but if you don't have a computer at home, like let's say you're taking Excel. And let's say you have a computer, but you don't have Excel at home and you learned all this stuff, if you don't go home and do it, it what's the point in taking the class? Yeah. Yeah, right. So the idea is, yes, you can go and buy a Pi now, but now you're going to have to set it up and all this other stuff. So even if we just went as far as maybe not giving them the Pi, but giving them the SD card with the ROM on it, so, so then is that they can- that retro gaming? Those are retro, retro games, so gaming? So they go
2: home with like a yeah. Super Mario type yeah. of- whatever. Something that's, that's like- Open source, right, yeah, of course. Exactly. Yeah, that's cool.
0: We gave them the pies because now we said, you could do this, 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 you know, and and it opens up the possibility. So of those three people, two of them came back and said, if you have another pie class, can I bring my pie back and use that pie? So what's nice is out of the six, three showed up and two said they wanted to continue moving on. So if you look at it in percentage of the people who attended, I got 66% of them. Engaged now. I know the number is really small, and it's a, it's a skewed ratio. Yeah, but
2: it's an indicative of a, but a it's need. A, it's a right two-thirds
0: buy-in that want to continue learning right. about pie. Where else do you get that? You're not getting that anyplace else. Yeah. And and the class was free. So and which in are, hindsight, which, which library's giving thing? these pies away?
2: What's that? Which library is giving these pies away? That would yet? be the Sachin Public Sachin Library. Public Library yeah. it is That's five so, bucks. I got to give him money. Nice, <laughs> nice.
0: So so the concept is you want them to be to either go to Best Buy right afterwards and buy one or have that idea that now I can take this and now I can do all these other things with it and now it opens up their mind to something different. And think in terms of, with even with seniors, if, you, if you're able to do mm-hmm. a senior Pi class yeah. and then they start to understand, even if they don't understand the programming behind it, if they know that they could buy another SD card with a ROM already loaded on it and they can pop it in and do something else with it, think about how that would, and we were just talking about the, the generation gap and the digital gap. Right think about how that could close that digital gap for seniors. Well, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because actually my my mom actually
1: uses Linux. And again, you know, from not being a, a technology, you know, centric person at all. You know, it was easy to take in one of my old computers and just throw Ubuntu on it and she got used to that. and eventually that died and then just to migrate her over to a Raspberry Pi right. running, you know, uh, I think a, it's a Ubuntu mate, you know, with the mate desktop environment and you, you Someone like my mom, she's not the kind of person who's going to go out and say, okay, well, I'm going to go buy an $800 iPad. She just doesn't see the value in it. But, you know, lowering that cost and saying, okay, well, this is like a $35 thing, and here's an old monitor of mine or something. And then what does she want to do? She wants to open up her email and look at pictures of her grandson. Right, and if it she has another one, right? Right, and and that's all she needs it to do. And, Mm -hmm. it's again, it, it, it gives her away at a very low cost. Of having that, you know, presence
0: online and being able to follow things. Yeah, it just it just makes sense, and it, it's it's economical, and not just for patrons, but also for use in the library. Now, if we could just figure out print release stations with pies, there you go. It, it can be done. I've heard it done. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, really, the management
2: right. software just needs to support Linux, and then you could do it. Right.
1: I've been begging, um, you know, we use Pharos and I've been begging them, you know, like if if you can get something that runs on Linux natively without necessarily, you know, a virtualized experience, you know. Yeah. And you save on licensing
2: fees too. I mean, you know, for libraries, uh, we get the educational discount through companies like TechSoup and what, where Microsoft donates these lines. But you know, each Windows machine needs a client access license. So now Raspberry Pis don't. Right. So instead of having this dead machine that uses tons of power, doing something simple, like bringing up a browser, to display a website. You have a machine that's low cost, low energy, doesn't require any sort of licensing to connect to another central server to do anything. And the privacy is even better because it doesn't connect to those central servers. It just goes out to the internet, displays a web page, and it's done. Patron leaves, it reboots, and refreshes the page, right? Well, their data is gone, so there's no back button to hit. Nothing like that, right? So Yeah, it's, it's, and it's, it's cost a,
0: effective, and it's secure, and think about boot time, too especially if you're with working seconds. with older machines. A couple of seconds, right? Yes, yeah, a couple yeah. of seconds. Yeah. The better
1: your micro SD card, the faster your boot time. I mean, and they're just resilient. I mean, like just even my digital signage. Um, you know, the the ODEC platform gives you access to one monitor. And I, I can't say enough good things about it. If you add additional beyond that, there's, you know, a small monthly fee. But right. you, you get one free instance of it. You, you load it on a what is platform. that?
2: What is Yodek? That's your digital signage platform?
1: It's, it's a digital signage yeah. platform. that I know that there's other ones out there like Screenly. I just happen to use right. um, Yodek because they give you that one free instance. And, again, for, you know, for any library, you know, budget's always a concern, that one free instance of yeah. that monitor. That could be all
2: you need, right? And it's
1: cloud-based. It sits there, you know, right next to a monitor, just right. running a slideshow all day, every day. So and you're,
0: like, running a PowerPoint or something like that on it?
1: right you know just really just slides but it can do a lot more than that you can run video i've run videos and when we first did you know uh, some of the videos of our 3d printer when we announced that it supports a wide number of things and again you know it's you get that one instance of it
0: for free so it's a beautiful thing yeah that is pretty amazing
2: now chris uh, at -um, sachem (laughs)
1: sachem
0: you're using
2: raspberry Pis to run your light show
0: yes so we do a holiday light show in oh, our t- garden. I want to know more about this, because I've heard it's amazing. So, <laughs> yeah, totally. so we use uh, Raspberry Pis. And then we, we're using Falcon control boxes. I forget the name of the, the, the control boxes we're using now. They're holiday Cora products. And then they get synced to um, LEDs that blink and do different patterns and things to the music that you program with the software called X-Lights, which is an open source mm-hmm. uh, piece of software. So we have the master Pi that plays the music. So you, you load the music onto the card, and it tells the slave pies via Wi-Fi. So we set up a Wi-Fi router that's not connected to the web, just connected to the pies. So you, you log into it, and you tell the master Pi play. It plays, it syncs to all the slave pies, which then tell the control boxes what to do and when to do it, because they're all synced to the master. We're able to do some pretty cool stuff with, with, for the communication end for all that. And then we can literally turn it on, turn it off of our phones just by jumping onto that Wi-Fi network and then going into the, you know, porting into the IP for it, getting into the control panel, and boom, hitting play or turn on or I forget exactly what the command is. And then it's on, and it just auto-plays, and it repeats. It's a beautiful thing. And again, you know,
1: you have my almost admiration because, you know, these are things that would normally just be, you know, in the realm of, you know, special effects and in, like, you know... Filmmaking yeah. in companies, and this, this is a public library yeah. doing this, and, and the, the low cost technology that has made that possible for you. Yeah, so. yeah.
0: I mean, the programming end is a bear, but you know. Right. Well, we're lucky because we have um, community members that help us with this, and that's how we, we pitch this. We start in July, and we say to the community, Come help us plan the holiday light show. So, we're lucky enough, we have a software engineer, structural engineer, electrical engineer, and a graphic artist that are kind of like taking the lead yeah. now and giving us just lists to go to Home Depot with because there's a lot of construction involved that's not tech related. And then when it's time for construction, we bring in all the kids that need their community service hours. Community uh, reaction has been great. And
1: that's what, it, what it's about. It's Everything you're describing is a community coming together and rallying at and around their library. Right.
0: Yes, yeah. so- and the enthusiasm. <laughs> My emails are going off at 11 o'clock at night and four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Because they're so excited about the next what do we this is the next part gonna, now we got to do the painting. Now we have to order this. Did you get the corrugated plastic? Did you get the spray the spray adhesive? we just got to text the before. Did you get the spray adhesive and the, and the corrugated plastic for the next meeting on Wednesday? No, Aaron, the answer is no.: uh, <laughs> we haven't gone we yet.. Did not get it. Hopefully we'll get there this week. But the idea that you could take something as simple as a pie and do this obviously with a big investment with the control boxes and all that other stuff. You can do it with cheaper material, but we wanted to make sure that we weren't going to have a problem with rain, wind, snow, kids chewing on wires, <laughs> you know, all that fun stuff. But again, the, in, the IT infrastructure for the whole thing are Raspberry Pis. Now think about if you had to run that with either slim lines or God forbid, um, a desktop you, well, had to have you, it,
2: you probably need, I mean, to do it conventionally, you need Windows machines at every single one of those control boxes correct. to, to, right. you know, to yeah. speak to it. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you are talking energy use. You're talking, uh, I could, we could easily Logistics. hack that. We could easily yeah. hack that Oh, you know, got the got Windows you. machine. And then think open. about power
0: infusion. We're already power infusing right. just because of the amount of power the control boxes are using. Yeah. Can you imagine how much more amperage we'd need just to run PCs, which would be insane and probably next to impossible. Just prohibitive all around. Yeah. yeah. Just all around. Yeah. So, you know, pies are a, a, a great resource to use for libraries, for all, not just for crazy holiday light shows, but for everyday opacs and, and, and everyday usage for things. Just even think in terms of using pie cams if you want to stream when you're hatching eggs in children's right, in yeah. the springtime, or if you want to set up a pie cam on your 3D printer or your engraver or whatever you're using that patrons could watch from home. Yeah, it's very multi-role. Yeah. multi
1: Now, again, on on the other side of the spectrum, now you know, pie Pies being very, very inexpensive. Yeah. You know, n- another thing the libraries are doing that we just did recently, also, and again, we looked at station Because when I was at you know you're building for a tour, uh, NCLA joint NCLA meet NCLA tech meeting, we saw your virtual reality setup, which we've also you know recently adopted. and We you know we every everyone's implementation of VR in a public library is, yeah. is is very different also. Sure. So that's another thing that um, you know we we've had you know high success, high attendance at at, at our programs for that. And it's always a unique thing. And then there's always those logistics about like, well, when this is like touching people's faces, like how do we clean this? How do we, and this this whole other market's bringing up now that like, uh, almost like a gasket that goes between your face and the interior yes. of the headset. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, like a peelable industries.
2: face mask. That right, go, yeah.
1: because you know, the, most of the times you would not need this. You, if you were to be purchasing this for yourself at home, you're not going to, you know, buy these these face gaskets. But now, mm-hmm. it's like these other industries that have grown up because it's in use in a public library right. in public, a public yeah, setting. Exactly. Yep. Yeah.
2: What yeah. did you guys go with, the HTC or Oculus? Which one did you?
1: We have a uh, HTC VIVE Pro, nice. which is a very nice, very offers a very compelling experience. Yeah. And we have it, you know, just with a. I originally wanted, I love building gaming computers, right. but sure. it, it, for the portability sake, I was like, I, my director was, again, very good. And my, you know, the board of trustees at North America, my thanks go out to them for letting me get a really nice. Republic of Gamers gaming laptop
0: yeah, to nice. drive this. Yeah, it was, that's that's cool. really the way to go. I mean you could build a monster machine, but if you had that laptop Monster Lab portability now. Yeah. Set up and bring do outreach. Yeah. That's that's the big
1: right. thing. And I mean, and again, it's a setup and breakdown because you know we we our rooms are multi-use. We don't leave the setup. We we only have the mounts for the motion trackers, and then we take the motion trackers down at the end of this. So you know we're looking at now expanding it from a corner of the room to a standing, you know, where we're going to have the maybe motion trackers on the opposite of the room. But nice. you know, it's things that are being toyed with. Uh, but again, it's another conduit that the public comes in, and I don't know now if, if if you guys have seen this, where you have people that are almost moved to tears. We did something for the uh, the Apollo. Uh, commemorati- oh, commemoration yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. and yeah. on Steam VR you can get the Apollo HD it takes you the whole moon mission each chapter we gave somebody you know 10-15 like minute blocks and then, you know the whole experience lasts just over an hour mm. so we had people d- doing different parts and there were people who were moved to tears you know there yeah. were people that remembered watching this on TV wow. you know in the late 60s and yeah. then being able to relive it and experience it and, you know from the perspective of the astronauts so, wow.
0: so you doing anything else cool over there?
1: You know, we're always um, we're always looking for different ways to move forward in advance. So we're doing uh, we've done VR, we've done three D printing that those are implemented. And you know, we're looking uh, our children's librarian, uh, Jackie. She's doing amazing things. You know, she's done coding programs with Ozobots. I think she's going to merge you know at some point maybe into you know doing that more frequently and in other venues like with coding with Raspberry Pis and so on. Um, yeah, I mean, just it's it, where I'm deploying out uh removing the last of the windows 7 computers you know we're all in that same boat now in the yeah. countdown to the extended you know support for yeah. 7 ending and i have all and then soon mm-hmm. in the next maybe couple weeks will be all windows 10 you don't realize how many you
2: have until you go oh no one two three four you know yeah. we can right. quite a bit yeah
1: right and then sometimes you know you you got to make sacrifices and say well you know one person you know if do, do they need, you know, certain software suites or do they need it? But right. you say, you know what, I'm going to just across the board make all of these machines as over as I possibly can so right. that way they last longer. Yeah. Right, you know, try to future-proof as much as possible. Yeah. But right. we're all in that boat now. We're trying to stay current and up-to-date and, you know, just I think that's really the hardest day-to-day challenge. You know, the big technology projects like 3D printing VR and all those other little things, those are fun. Those you know, those big moonshot projects. It's the day to day where I, you know, just keeping browsers yeah. up to date. You know, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just got a notice before in the conference. Uh, Google, you know, has released updates for Chrome across every platform. Yeah, so well, now I'm like, okay, know. well, I know what you know. I'm going to be doing remotely later. Yeah. So right, you know. right. Or if you have
0: Adobe, how they do their updates every day, right? what's your eye rollers.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, browsers, Office, the uh, cool. things that you know, Windows recently. Broke printing apparently. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. was like last Friday, and then on Windows 10, and then finally the subsequent patches to have it fixed again. Yeah. So it's living with those things, but you know that balance between everything up to date always, and then the usability. And well, what did what did I just break by installing this update? Right. right. Exactly. If, if anything, sometimes it's it's harmless.
2: Yeah. And then there's always the stuff about uh, what's the latest ransomware that came out that I have to be on the lookout right. for. Right? Is my staff member going to click on this thing and take the whole library down? Right. <laughs> We just registered with No Before. Have you guys heard of that?
1: Yes. Yes. Yes.
2: So at McClark, we just rolled that out for some of the sexual harassment training, and it's been fantastic so far. Uh, And they have all the phishing stuff built in. That was a coordinated order through SCLS. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually
0: just completed one of the trainings last night.
2: Yeah. Again, it's a great platform for phishing training.
0: So I got a question for you. I can't speak for other libraries, but there are certain things that we do at the library that require us to be using a Mac. Do you have any Macs in your building? And if so, how do you deploy them and what do you use them for? Currently, we do not.
1: And I know one of our board members in particular; he's a Mac enthusiast, so I'm mm-hmm. sure he would be delighted. He'd, he'd be delighted <laughs> to see us implement. Rolling out right now. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, they're very good about moving the the organization forward and allowing me to to do that and mm-hmm. and putting that spending means within my reach. So mm-hmm. it's definitely a, a thing I would I would visit. So in my mind, I always kind of look at well, what's now the the thing that has to be prioritized? Like, I, you right. know, my, my Windows 10 rollout is almost complete. Uh, and i'm looking at these you know older copying machines i'm like now that in my mind is now the weakest link so at some point i would like to have a you know a diversified environment maybe some linux computers just sitting there ready to use and then you know there's those hurdles about how how are they going to be used what are they, what's going to be on them how much
2: can, yeah and can you run the management software on them like right. the patron management software right, yeah. right.
1: Right, I know, and I know like the Macs, you'll probably see a wider compatibility because it's a much more known and present oh, platform. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah,
0: exactly. And what about iPads? Do you have iPads in the building?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, you know, like many libraries, we have the traditional crayon kiosk with yeah. the games. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the one thing I will say with Apple that is usually a unique thing, and it depends on if you can get consortium pricing for their stuff. You know, the stuff is not cheap. You know, mm-hmm. it, it make, Apple makes a very good product, good polish, good fit and finish. Um, you know, sometimes though, like I feel in pub- the public library world, we hurt, you know, I, I, worked in education and I, I know that they had a sizable discount. Right. Um, whereas, you know, all of our elementary schools that we worked in, they had all like four uh, 20 inch IMAX per classroom. Right. I yeah. mean, wow. Cause they're deep discounts. I mean, they were deep discounts. Yeah. And yeah. I find for public libraries, they just, you they know, don't don't do they don't. Right. And that, yeah. and that hurts that purchase yeah. in my mind where it's yeah. like, you know, they don't even class you necessarily as continuing education, right. which yeah. is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. I think you, they'd see a wider adoption in the public library realm right. if they did. So. When,
2: when we're going down to the you know to the uh, dollar amount looking for mm-hmm. new computers, I can't consider Mac right because I can't pay fifteen sixteen hundred dollars for a machine that I can get through you know Dell right. uh, OGS contract for six hundred bucks. I, I can't true. do it. You
1: know? Right, it's true. And I mean, and and, we're, and sometimes like, would you even put them in place for a staff, you know, a staff computer? Because there's a whole other side of you know networking and networking. putting them on internal right. networks and yeah right i mean like it's, i know when it's been talked about i was actually just talking with lee from asapico outside before about you know uh, you know sierra runs beautifully on linux i mean i've experimented i've experienced years. years yeah and it, it runs beautifully as like so would you put like you know uh, an old box with you know a fresh install of linux and then sierra on top of it or would you you know go through the trouble of getting a mac in place maybe right. if you just that you know yeah. You know, the sky's the limit with with funding. At the CERC
2: desk, Raspberry Pi is running Sierra. That's it, done.
1: It can be done. It can be done.
2: And touchscreens, too. Right. They with, can adapt, yeah.
1: With the new generation of the Raspberry Pi 4s, you know, they are available with, you know, varying amounts of RAM. You can get one with four yeah. gigabytes of RAM, and with the, with the right SD card, they just fly. Yeah, and they system. support
2: touchscreens. So, right. Yeah, that's a possibility.
1: really is. We're, We're going to sp- have to We'll experiment with that now. Now, now, you, now we'll start turning. a little Linux yeah, community.
0: Exactly, Absolutely. yeah. Calm down. That's, that's great. Right. Chris Jelly, thanks cool. for coming in. Thank thanks you so Chris. much for having I me. I think we it's have great. to have you on for another episode. We could talk about Definitely. this for a long time. Yeah. I'd, be, I'd be happy to. Yep. That's great. Thanks yeah. for coming in. Thank, thank you. you. Again, thank you to Chris Jelly from the North Merrick Public Library for joining us at the Long Island Library Resources Council Conference on Libraries and the Future. We appreciate his appearance. And if you haven't heard yet, we have two additional installments of this episode. Installment one is with James Vorbach, the Director of Library and Information Studies at St. John's University, and Edward Tenner, from the Smithsonian and Rutgers University. And installment two was a great conversation with Lee Rainey from Pew Research.